This is episode number 382 with Shep Gordon. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so excited about today. Today is an amazing day. No matter where you are in the world, it's a beautiful day because you get another opportunity. You get another opportunity to do something amazing and magical today. We never know when it's our last day. So the fact that you're here listening to this right now, whether you're driving somewhere, you're working out, you're cooking, you're waking up, you're going to bed, wherever you are in the world, just take a moment and acknowledge that, hey, I'm here another day and let's do something positive. Let's inspire someone else. Let's take one step in the right direction towards our dreams. I challenge you to step up today and thank you for making this moment, this experience a part of your day. It means the world to me. And we've got an incredible guest on. His name is Shep Gordon. And in the course of his legendary career as a manager, agent, and producer, Shep Gordon has worked with and befriended some of the biggest names in the entertainment industry. You're going to hear some of those names in just a moment once I bring him on. He is also credited for inventing the celebrity chef. He's worked with Nobu, uh, Wolfgang Puck, and many others and kind of helped them position themselves in the market to become these celebrity chefs. And it's incredible to see how he did this for so many people and how many people credit him and thank him for giving them the opportunity to build their platform in that space. He's also worked with many other individuals, including His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, and he's revolutionized the food industry and turned the culinary arts into a multi-billion dollar industry that it is today. Shep was named one of the 100 most influential people in Rolling Stones magazine. He was the subject of Mike Myers' 2013 documentary, Supermensch, The Legend of Shep Gordon. And he is the author of the new memoir, They Call Me Supermensch, which has some incredible, crazy stories about how he built up all these artists to making them the mega superstars that they are today. And the things we talk about in this interview are what it is about fame that so many people can't handle and why almost all of them somehow crash at some point. How Shep changed the lives of the culinary artists and created the celebrity chef. We'll dive into that. What creates strong partnerships in business relationships, and in life, why Shep has never signed a contract with any of his superstar artists that he's managed, and why they all trust him because of it, the power of service and focusing on others, and what changed his life forever when he met a certain mentor who taught him this lesson. All this and some wild and crazy stories that you're not going to want to miss in this interview with the one, the only Chef Gordon. 
I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off your next 12-pack, head to Amazon and use promo code 20PUREleaf. That's promo code 20PUREleaf for 20% off. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Okay, quick math. The less your business depends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep, obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash greatness. netsuite.com slash greatness. Again, head to netsuite.com slash greatness. Welcome everyone back to the School of Greatness podcast. We've got a great guest on today. His name is Shep Gordon. He's got a new book out. Make sure to go check out this book right now. It's called They Call Me Super Mensch. It's a backstage pass to the amazing world of film, food, and rock and roll. And thank you again for coming on, Aloha. Chef. Aloha. Thanks for having me. Aloha. Happy uh, to be here on this beautiful day. Yeah, it's amazing here. Mm-hmm. Now, I uh, I have to I have to be honest with you. I never heard about you oh, before that's so good. Jason <laughs> Gaynard introduced us recently over email. He said, and he doesn't introduce me to too many people. And so when I know he makes an introduction, it's someone I should it should look out for and research. And he said, you got to interview this guy. He's kind of like the uh, original Scooter Braun. <laughs> and, that's a great uh, compliment. Thank you. And- and then the more I started researching about you and realizing that you've been working with some of the biggest names, biggest celebrities, actors, musicians, you invented the uh, celebrity chef or the personality chef is what I is what yeah. I read about you back in the day where there's so many top chefs out there yeah, now. that's great. Um, and you've had this incredible, crazy, adventurous life. There's a documentary about you. You've got this new book out here. So I'm curious, why did you decide to write about your adventures and why did you just decided to have, come out with this book. Um, you know, why didn't, wasn't a huge part of my life always. So um, it's more like one, an event happens, I react to an event happens, uh-huh. I react to it. So I, I, uh, Mike Myers had done a documentary on me. Yep. 
which was um, very well received. Yeah. And um, in, in a very special way. And a lot of people were reaching out to me with, in a real heartfelt way to, you know, um, how did I do what I did? Mm -hmm. um, did I have any secrets to convey? Putting me in a fairly uncomfortable position for me. Um, Why is that? You know, I, I'm not... I. I'm, I don't think of myself as someone in a very high chair looking down, addressing the masses and helping, you know, I can, I feel like I can help one person who I really know maybe make their life a little happier. But do I have the knowledge to help masses of people? Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I, don't, I didn't know. I still don't know. <laughs> sure. But um, it, it sort of opened up my mind to it. It's like, what is appealing to these people? Because um, I had no rhythm to my life. I woke up. I did what I did. And um, Anthony came up to me. I never met him. And I'm in a little bit of a group. Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. When was this? This was maybe two and a half years ago. At a uh, There's a chef in L.A. called Roy Choi. Yes. Who um, reached out to me. It was the first time since I had retired that I felt like I wanted to act on that reach. So I came to L.A. to get to know him. When I left the culinary world, I felt as if... Um, I had left one thing undone, which was um, I was part of a movement that successfully changed the lives of the culinary artists. Um, they went from not being able to send their kids to private school to being able to live a respectful life as an artist, not as a cook, um, which they are. But, but I helped to create an industry where um, – there was a generation coming in who were only doing $250 meals. Hmm. That's what their goal was, to go work at Spago or go work at Le Cirque. And that wasn't the way I wanted to leave the industry. You know, any of those, I gave this, the, the commencement speeches here at the CIA, and I said, you know, it's really nice that you guys can walk into a job for $150,000 a year and feed people who can afford $250 dinners. But if you think that's what you're on this planet for, Boy, you lost and going to be unhappy because right outside your front door are people starving to death. You need to feed them as well as the $250 dinners. And until you get that, you're going to have miserable lives. Mm. Um, and you can turn it all around in one second just by remembering, applying what you do to what, what's needed. And um, Roy Choi is one of those guys. He's the first one I've seen in America who really gets it. Um, so I wanted to support him. I came in. Anthony Bourdain walked over to me and he said, are you Chef Gordon? And I said, yes. And, he said, and I'm a groupie. So Anthony Bourdain coming <laughs> over was, you know, I yeah. really wanted to meet him. You I watched CNN. Wanted, so. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a <laughs> CNN guy. And uh, he said, you know, I wouldn't exist if it wasn't for you. And wow. I said, why is that? And he said, because you created celebrity chefs and I created my career by hating celebrity chefs. Wow. That's hilarious. <laughs> he said, I'd love to do a uh, a book with you and figure out. What's behind the curtain? Huh. And the, the the concept of working with Anthony, one, and two, giving myself an opportunity to look at my life and see, was there anything in my life that I could teach to other people? Mm -hmm. Was there any was there anything at all that I could find if I spent some time looking at it that maybe could be helpful, maybe give some meaning to my life um, rather than just doing what I did? So that was the exercise, and it it was great. I don't think I got to any real answers, <laughs> um, but I got to some small things that you know I can pass on, and I do in the book, and and I got to uh, laugh a lot thinking of the stories 
They were just stories. <laughs> crazy stories. Oh, my God. The ones I had to leave out. <laughs> Even crazier. But I had a good time. It was really fun. Give me a taste of the craziest, one of the craziest stories in the book that just seems like so outlandish. That... <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a, I, I, we were speaking before we started today about um, about how important failure is to success uh-huh. um, and for so many reasons, particularly if you're in a partnership. Because the normal reaction in a partnership, and most things need a partnership, is to um, put the blame on someone. Mm. Look for who did it wrong. Not deal with how do we make it right, but who did it wrong. Mm. And um, so Alice and I, Alice Cooper was the first, my first act. We have a very close relationship. Um, We started very early in our lives. And one of the duties that I took on was writing the format of the show. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Alice is an entertainer. He's amazing. Um, and he enjoys having some structure. So we were doing our first, um, stadium. It was three river stadium in Pittsburgh. Um, big, big event for us, 1972 or three, very few rock acts had ever, maybe the Beatles had done a stadium, uh, maybe the Rolling Stones. I don't really think the Rolling Stones at that point. So this was very gigantic. And I was a very young guy and, um, made a horrible mistake uh, by announcing what we were going to do. You know, if we, Alice was built on ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. So we had to be more ridiculous at a stadium. So it took me days of thinking. I said, I know what I'll do. I'll shoot him out of a cannon, oh just like gosh. the circus trick. You know, you go to the circus and the, the clown jumps into cannon and, and runs around from the other side. So I go to water, but I announce it. See Alice get shot out of a can. <laughs> and I go to Warner Brothers, and they had built all our props. And a guy with these little half glasses didn't even look at me. He's at his desk like this. He's been there for 50 years. <laughs> and I said, you know, I'm, the guillotine worked great. Thank you very much. Oh, good. I'm glad it worked. Um, it was fantastic. And the electric chair, I said, but I want to do something a little different. What do you want to do? And uh, I said, I want to shoot Alice out of a can. Didn't even look up at me. And he goes, uh, what period cannon? <laughs> and uh, uh, what? And he said, what period canon? Revolutionary War, World War One, World War Two, And I said, I, whatever works best. And he went to a drawer and he actually pulled out a blueprint of a cannon that shoots a dummy. No way. Uh, no, for real. <laughs> so I'm so cocky that I advertise it on radio. Oh, my God. I get it built. The guy's never failed me. It's like 12, 14, maybe 20 feet long, weighs like three tons. It takes a whole 40-foot truck. And we go to break in the show because we're always broken our shows. We go to the first show. And the trick is that Alice goes into the barrel of the cannon into a trap door. He gets taken out and driven around mm. to where the dummy's going to f- fly to. We do some shtick on stage to give him time. The dummy comes out and he comes into a spotlight like he just landed. Right. That's the shtick. Gotcha. So He's um, not actually going into a cannon. Right. Yes. Right. So. We do the shtick. We turn the lights out. There's flame torches. There's things. They take some time. They light the fuse. The fuse burns down slowly. <laughs> Big puff. The dummy comes out. Maybe one foot. <laughs> <laughs> Alice is out there. Hey. <laughs> he said, how'd it go? I said, the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, now my we're, gosh. we're two days away from th- you know 50,000 people thing. sold out. There. So what are we going to do? He goes to sleep and... Um, I'll figure it out. It's my job. I'll figure it out. So in the hotel, I get to the hotel and they have fire extinguishers and they're the, the foam ones. You turn them upside down, they shoot uh-huh. white foam. I got, we're making a giant penis. 
and we'll have all this cum pour out. Oh I'll get God. all the fire extinguishers. So I, overnight, I had some sacks made up for like you know genital balls. Sure. Like so he looked at me, he said, "Is this going to work?" I said, "It's going to. You just got to work it. It's going to be fantastic." He gets. He's rubbing it and he's licking it. Oh my he's, God. Oh my God. And the foam comes out. and It's one little dribble. Oh my God. And gosh. nobody in the room except me and him has any idea. Now it's we're one day away. Fifty thousand people. We have news crews coming to shoot it from Pittsburgh. See this amazing shot out of a canny. What are we going to do? So he shows up the next night. He said, did you figure it out? I said, well, you're not going to like it, but you're going to spend tonight in the hospital, but it'll be okay. And we'll do the show from like wheelchairs. And he said, you got to be kidding me. Will this thing work? And I said, I'll make it work. It'll work. Just go with me. And uh, that's what we did. And it was, we did the show and the newspapers gave us front page about what a great artist that he would show up when he's been hurt the night before and they had oh TV gosh. crews showing the film of the cannon blowing up no and him getting way. taken away in the ambulance. <laughs> so but, you, faked, you faked that he, he yeah. got hurt the night before. Yes. Yeah. So we took a failure <laughs> right, um, and turned it into a huge success. And the reason we were able to do it is because he didn't for one second take up my time with, you jerk, you asshole, you're screwing up my career. I can't believe you would do which is what happens normally in those kind of tight situations. So that made our bond so strong and it made me never want to have him fail again so much and gave him so much faith in me that he never asked any questions. Um, that it just, it, that failure made our success so much easier and more enjoyable. And it's uh, kind of roll with the punches. And right. we and we hugged, and it was fantastic. Instead Amazing. of hating each other at the end of the experience, you would think that this big like personality would be so you know fixated on one thing happening, and he would be upset at you, but he wasn't. Right? right. Was it because you already had a great relationship? And we had started a relationship. He started to see what I could do. We didn't have a contract, mm. which I've never signed a contract with any artist, and wow. I think that's really important. I mean. As a manager for my artists, I always made there be contracts when they dealt with humans. For my relationship with my artists, I never would sign a contract. Wow. And what would your, I guess, commission be with artists? um, I had a strange... (laughs) How'd that work? The the standard industry was 20% of gross. It was very big payment. Um, And um, that's what I started with Alice. I was 20% in the first few artists I had. And then I realized that my I didn't want to get the Coca-Cola. I just didn't want to be that guy. Um, but I understood that it needed to be done. Um, so I used to, when I would sign an artist, I'd say, listen, it's 20% of gross. If you don't need to see this face and you don't need to talk to this mouth, if I can put a person in the middle who's with you 24 hours a day um, and and that person talks to me, I'll do it for 15%. And I never had anybody take the twenty percent. Wow! <laughs> and you saved a lot of time and a lot of time and aggravation. And you could work with multiple people probably. At that point. That's why I was able to manage thirty-five, forty major attractions wow. at one time without any of them feeling jealous or, you know, yeah, um, they make more money and they still get the best of you, right? And they have someone twenty-four-seven right there who's you know. The so old, were you just paying that person? Yeah, uh, I gave that salary per- or yeah. I gave that a lot of huge salary. Right. Yeah, they made fortunes. <laughs> money was never my. That was never my uh, – Sammy Hagar did um, autobiography. He talks about when he brought Van Halen in to see me as a manager. Uh-huh. Um, David Geffen, he had asked David Geffen. He was on um, Geffen Records as a solo artist, and he said to David, who's the best manager in the business? And he said, 
there's a guy named Chef Gordon, but he loves women and drugs too much. <laughs> so that's, he came right to me. Wow, there you go. <laughs> and uh, But I sat with the group. I told him what I told most of the artists. If you're looking to maximize the economics out of your career, I'm absolutely 100% the wrong guy. Um, if you're looking to not have to use your second name to be a Mount Rushmore kind of an act, no one says Alice who, Raquel who, Groucho who. That's what I enjoy doing, and that's what I do well. But sometimes that costs money. Hmm. Um, you have to sacrifice the money. So, What do you mean by that, the second name? By- not being famous enough that everybody knows you. You know, if you're, you know, Alice is Alice. Yeah. Um, you know, Teddy Pendergrass was Teddy, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, you know, Usher is an Usher. He's made it through. Yeah. As opposed to 99% of the hit acts who are, you know, they come, they go. Yeah. They don't last forever. I knew how to make someone a Mount Rushmore kind of an artist. My acts were blondie. Um, I, I, I didn't have any misses. I was, I was very, well, I shouldn't say that. There was some I didn't advance, but, um, for the most part, my Rick James, Luther Vandross, Teddy Pendergrass, Blondie Gypsy Kings, which was a very hard, that was a really tough one to pull off. Really? Because uh, they didn't speak English. So wow. radio play for non-speaking English in America is a little wow. tough. Sure, sure. Um, that was a fun exercise. I thought that, that, that would be what a Scooter Braun would probably do today. So the Gypsy Kings was a great exercise. I had, I had to do the... I had an obligation, it's in the book, but I had a moral obligation to a head of a record company who had given me a lot of money when he shouldn't have mm-hmm. for an artist, that uh, Teddy Pendergrass, who had a horrible accident and um, was a quadriplegic. We mm-hmm. didn't know if we would live or not. And I, I had made a promise to Teddy. I couldn't live up to the promise. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have the money to give him that I had promised him he would get. And the head of a record company gave me the money, knowing that he may never get it back. Wow. So I always knew I owed him. And um, when I heard about the Gypsy Kings in the south of France, I just knew this was something I could make work, and it wasn't going to cost a lot of money. So I went to him, and I said, listen, trust me. Let's go to France. I'll make it work. I can pay you back with this one, and it won't cost you a lot. So we flew. We had the Warners playing. We went and signed this group, the Gypsy Kings, who were on the beach. They were playing. Right. But on the beach when they were playing was – Every beautiful woman you've ever seen in your life, <laughs> like so gorgeous. This, this is how I got into it. This was my so I had gone to Saint Tropez, saw these women, saw the Gypsy Kings, bought the cassette. Was like uh, you know you put money down, and took their cassette uh-huh. like the streets of yeah, New yeah, York. Yeah. Early. Came back and I was driving down Sunset Boulevard and playing the the tape fairly loud. And this gorgeous girl at a red light said, "Is that the Gypsy Kings from Saint Tropez?" And I said, "Oh, they're my favorite group. I didn't know they had a record." And it happened to me twice with two mm. beautiful women. And I said, if this can, if this is that strong, I know how to make this work. And that's when I called up Kras and I said, you're going to think I'm crazy. It's a guy who was at Electra, but I got a way to get you back your money. And then when I told him the story, he said, you're out of your mind. I said, I know. That's why I'm good. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's why you got to trust me. <laughs> so now we side that we come back and how do you break a band that no one will give radio play to in a time when the only thing is radio play. And when was this? This was um, probably 80. Two eighty-three. Wow! I had a good friend who um, owned Paul Mitchell Hair Salon, uh-huh. uh, hair products. Yes. So I went to John Paul's his name, and um, and Paul Mitchell was still alive. John Paul was running it, and I told him about the Gypsy Kings. Oh, I know that band. Everybody knows that band from Saint Tropez. And I said, Well, I just signed them. What about if I bring them to America? We do ten concerts, 
I give you half the tickets to every concert for women. And I'll give you for every salon coffee cups, T-shirts for all your employees that say Gypsy Kings, music. Um, and you can give your customers tickets to a concert by the Gypsy Kings. And he said, I'm in. So I went to Krasnow and sold them who thought I was out of my mind. And it was like a rocket ship took off because really? we had every beautiful girl in the building. So every oh, guy, every guy wanted, wanted to be there. <laughs> pretty simple. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game, or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. How did you, I mean, how, how did you see an act or an individual and say, I'm going to make them into a one-name like symbol? I, I didn't, you know, for me, the Gypsy Kings were the only band after Alice that I worked with that wasn't already um, in the public eye and uh, well-known. Got you. Most of them were already well-known. Yeah. So my, my, I was brought in to maintain and enhance the brand rather than create the brand. In 99% of the cases, I got Blondie when they had a number one record. Teddy had a number one record. Gotcha. Luther Vandross was a number one record. Kenny Loggins a number one record. At that point, the record companies would call me up because mm. they knew the artist would be happy because they didn't have to sign a contract. 
<laughs> right. So that was their first moment of happiness. <laughs> and they knew I wasn't going to screw over the record company. Yeah. I was a pretty honorable guy. I didn't mm -hmm. backstab anyone. Coupons were important to me. Um, so they had faith that I wouldn't screw them. And I was good at what I did. Um, you know, there weren't a lot of guys who were really good at it. And the only thing they cared about at the record companies was that they wouldn't have an artist call them up screaming, why'd you do this to me? They just wanted to be safe. And right. I was usually a safe corner. You were safe, but I also read that you created all these stunts for your artists, right? You were like the original stunt creator. No, that's what I enjoyed doing. Why? I like to create history. Mm. And I think that's one of the things when I was writing the book, I realized that I've done that since I've been in college. And although I never really vocalized it to myself, that really is a principle I think that is important for young people on a path, if, if that path is one of creation. You know, it's one thing if you show up at work and you're given a list of what to do and you have to finish that list, which is admirable also. Um, and you're directed every second. But if if you choose a profession where you have to make choices um, and you have to create things, you don't have to wait for things to happen. Mm. If you think something can move you from point A to B, create the B. Yeah. Um, and that's what I've done my whole life with my artists. Um, we, um, I think one of the, one of the funny examples in the book, which is also in the movie, was um, Alice was built. We had a very clear focus on Alice Cooper, mm -hmm. and that clear focus was winning for us was getting the parents over breakfast to tell their kids, um, "If you go see Alice Cooper tonight, I'm grounding you for a month." That was a win. That was our. That was the win. That's the goal. If we could get that in every house in America, we'd be the biggest act in the entire world, we felt. So that was our goal always. We never lost sight of that track with real art behind it, real social um, revolution behind it, with real things behind it. Yeah. But the, the pinpoint to get the attention, you know, to get them intrigued enough to look inside um, was hatred of parents because that <laughs> – that developed an audience. Every kid goes through a, a period of hating parents. Art is very narrow. Mm. Art attracts different people. Some people like purple. Some like pink. Some like white. Some like blue. You know, some like Picasso. Some like the, some like rap. Some like. But every kid goes through a period of rebellion. Mm -hmm. um, and if you look at the big artists of our generation, the Elvis Presleys, the Beatles, the Stones, they all were um, hip hop. They all were rejected by parents. Um, Elvis Presley couldn't see his hips on the Ed Sullivan show. Mm, um, really? Yeah, that was Jackie. That's what broke him. So funny. And the manager would only put him on the show if they would not show the hips. Uh, that's why he's such a genius manager, Colonel Parker, because he got it. So knowing that, we get to Alice is now very big in America. Everybody hates him. We, we book. Uh, <laughs> we book. Hates him. <laughs> we book England. I get over there a couple of weeks early, and we have very little sales. People don't really know him. I assumed, again, I was a rookie. I just assumed if we're big in America, we're going to be big in England. And I probably overbooked the hall. And um, I was sort of panicked. How do I sell out 6,000 seats? I got two weeks. <laughs> so they sent me into uh, a guy named Derek Taylor's office who worked at the record company, but had spent his life as a six beetle. He was their publicist. Hmm. Um, great guy. Just wow. a great guy. Died a few years ago, but amazing guy. And he had never heard of Alice. Uh, which was my first trouble sign since he was running the right part of the record company and we were on their label. <laughs> but he was very cool. George Harrison was in the office that day, I remember. 
a jazz artist named George Mele. George Harrison had just come back from India, was still wearing the white robes and stuff, was in the office, very impressive. And I had to wait till the end of the day. He was drinking the whole day and smoking cigarettes. And finally, about 8, 30, 9 o'clock, he sort of turned to me and said, okay, and now you? And uh, I told my manager, Alice Cooper, who's Alice Cooper? I said, we're coming to town. It's on. And he said, tell me some stuff about him. And I started to tell him. I got to the hatred of the parents. And he said, oh, that's really interesting. Hmm. And I said, you know, what we look for is um, we don't care about Rolling Stone. We don't care about music papers. We care about what the parents read and watch because we're trying to get them, not the kids. If we get the parents, the kids will follow. Hmm. Um, I said, is there any one thing, like the Ed Sullivan show in America, and I told him the story about the Ed Sullivan show, is there any one thing that every parent watches? Because Ed Sullivan show, every single family watches. Sure. Um, and he said, you know, the biggest thing here is the BBC in the morning does the traffic reports. And we only have two TV stations. <laughs> and all the it's the morning shows, and all the parents watch these morning shows. Um, it's always on at the breakfast table. And I said, mm, what's the uh, busiest traffic in the rush hour in the morning? And he said, Piccadilly Circus always backed up. They always have helicopters showing, you know, deferred here, do this. So I showed him this picture I had. We had just done a picture of Alice with naked with a snake wrapped around his genitals by Richard Abaddon, a great photographer, really great. He was probably the number one photographer in the world at the time. So it had credibility. As an art piece, yes. Um, even though it was ridiculous, sure. Um, <laughs> and, um, we ended up putting it on a billboard truck, breaking it down at Piccadilly. We had girls on it in hot pants giving out this because it was seventy-two in hot oh pants God. giving out flyers. <laughs> and on the morning news was this big giant naked Alice. No way. Uh, and it said Wembley Stadium. The next day. At Wembley, huh? Yeah. The wow. next day, Mary Whitehouse, who was in Parliament, put in a bill to ban Alice from ever coming to England, which <laughs> was uh, it was better than anything we could have ever hoped for in our lives. <laughs> and it sold out in a week. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> but that's creating history. Yeah. You know, you don't wait for it to happen. Yeah. You think about what what is the statement I want to give to the public that will get them to where I want them to go. Yeah. Um, it's almost like you were the ultimate artist yourself. I, in some form, in, in terms of the media, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, you can't make that work unless you have a real artist in the middle, or a real something, a, a real product, or whatever whatever that brand is that you're pushing, it has to deliver on what you you know, are promising to the people. Yeah, Alice really, del when a kid came there he, he and watched show. the show, he knew his parents would hate him <laughs> for being there. You know, we used to chop up baby dolls and do anything that was like really disgusting. Oh my god! The parents hated because uh, that was the focus of it, and, yeah. and um, it worked. Wow, <laughs> amazing! And I, I, uh, I read also from Jason that you have a love-hate relationship with fame. And he said, uh, he said that numerous, t uh, numerous times that uh, there's a toxic waste of celebrity, or the toxic waste of celebrity is fame. Mm -hmm. and that in your line of work, you'll make people more famous, and it'll probably kill you. Mm -hmm. That was the way I used to start all my management. Con Whenever I'd get a, an artist, and I'd say I'd, I used to wear glasses, and I would take off my glasses. and, and Like in the book, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Glasses. I've had an operation since oh, then. So, that's great. Uh, but um, I would say to him, I'd take off my glasses, and I'd say, this is really serious. This is not like a joke. If I do my job perfectly, there's a very good chance I'll kill you. Luckily, I'm not perfect. 
<laughs> but I will maim you. Wow. You will get maimed. So you got to really understand this is not a joke. You will be maimed. And they were all maimed. But it's, you know, all you can do is be honest with someone. Huh. I think, you know, the, the you're born, you're going to die. Yeah. It's the only coupon you know for sure when you're born. So you you have the right to pick your journey in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think all you can do to your fellow travelers is be honest with them um, and let them make their choice. Right. Um, I, I think one of the reasons I probably retired was that I wasn't enjoying what I foreseed my gift to be, which was helping these people get famous and then watching them destroy themselves. Did um, everyone destroy themselves? No, no. But a lot of them bounced back. Alice was in rehab once, then mm. hit the bottom, came back. Michael Douglas was in rehab once, came back. What uh, is it about fame that makes it so so many people aren't able to handle it? Yeah, I don't, you know, I, I, I've never come to the end of the question. I don't really know. I think my view of it is very narrow because I dealt mo- 99% with people who need who whose goal was to get large amounts of people to applaud for them. Yes. Um, so they, their their yeah. music, their art, their... Whatever it was, yeah. they needed... And I, their drive to get to the point where they get to is so unnatural <laughs> that it's not only because they want recognition for their art. There's usually some personal hole that they feel is going to be filled by 20,000 people applauding. And it's not. That's the reality of it. It's just not going to do it, whatever that hole is. And I think the ones who don't have that hole drop off. You know, success is a game of rejection. Um, <laughs> you know, I tell everybody I work with, you have to embrace every rejection because it takes hundreds of rejections to get accepted. That's just the nature of what it is. I don't know. Again, I don't know the answer as to why it's that way. But rejection is the path to success. Um, and you have to be able to embrace it. And in the show business world, the rejections are so often and so harsh, and the environment is so alien to a conscious life hmm. that to keep pursuing it in the face of that kind of rejection usually is something more than just wanting people to see what you do. Usually it's some some hole somewhere, something from your childhood, something from somewhere that just doesn't get filled up. And it translates into drugs or liquor or seven marriages or firing everybody every two weeks or, you know, um, suicides or mm-hmm. car wrecks. or um, And the lucky ones take the fall and come back through it. Yeah. Um, Do you think that hole is also what makes them so creative and driven? Possible. Very possible. I don't have any real answers because huh. um, each one's a unique story. Have you seen an artist or an act maybe that you've either worked with or haven't that you know that – was the most whole and complete inside that they could have been and had all the fame and the success in the world and they made it out okay? Um, I'd have to really think about that. That's a good question. Yeah, I have, you know, I've seen some, but not the ones that have ever gotten to the Mount Rushmore fame. Right. Um, what does it take to hit that? Type I, of- I think what I've seen more than anything is people who have learned how to fill that hole in different ways, you know. I think for me, cannabis um, mm. really fills that whatever that thing is in me that's driven me to wherever I've been driven to. Yeah, um, 
And I've seen it in other people. I think Willie Nelson, who wouldn't mind my saying that. You sure. know, On the back of your book, he talks yeah. about. Um, <laughs> but the same kind of thing. He, you know, um, So I think if you get lucky and you can live with whatever your crutch is mm-hmm. um, and are aware that it's a crutch, we're humans. It's tough out there. Is there any whole human, you think? Um, that doesn't I hope have there crutches. Is. Yeah, well, I can tell you that being around the Dalai Lama, I, I don't know if he I've has. I've seen him speak before. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. I don't know if he has holes. Very possible he does. I don't know him well enough. Yeah. Um, you made him breakfast. I, I saw. Yeah, him. I, I, I had the honor of traveling with him and making him breakfast. But, wow. But I, he, he, when he walks in a room for me anyway, and I talk to a lot of the people, I have the same feeling. It's um, like taking the greatest shower of your life. <laughs> You just feel so clean. Yeah. You know, it's like they wipe it. It's like he wipes your computer clean. It's a fresh start. You get a whole new chance. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if he has, um, I know that he has, he's going, this is a very difficult time for him. Mm. Um, he's lost his country. He sort of let his people down. Mm. Um, he's talked about that and that he's only a human and he's done the best he can possibly do. And, but he knows that he, he lost his country for his people. And that's a difficult position to be in and to maintain um, being his holiness. Who everyone <laughs> thinks he's supposed to be. Exactly. You know, um, he's a human being. Yeah, he's a human being. And he's so, he makes you so aware of it. Mm-hmm. You know, he's and, funny. Uh, he laughs. He oh, jokes. He, yeah. I, I think my sense is, although he's never said this to me, and, and I, I read a lot of reviews and stuff with people talk about my close friend, the Dalai Lama, which is the furthest possible thing. <laughs> if he walked in the room, I don't know if he would recognize me. Um, mm. So it's so far from the truth. But every, with you, yeah, you don't, yeah. yeah. But he's seen, he sees so many uh, people every day. Uh, but every single person, every single plant, every single cup, every single table, he deals with it like it's a miracle, um, which is wild. Um, there's no difference at all between the way he treats like a table that he's walking by and a baby. He'll stop and he'll rub the table. <laughs> no. um, he truly sees the miracle in everything. Um, so I don't know what his holes are or if he has them, but um, that giggle he has is just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty funny. It's amazing. How old is he now? Is he 70s? Is he? I think he's maybe even more. Yeah. I should know and I don't really know. <laughs> wow. Um, I had I had a story in the book that I was going to tell, and then I decided that it would, since I didn't have a chance to really tell the whole story of His Holiness and how I, yeah. that it might come off as felt in the wrong way. But um, but it's a story I I, I love telling because sure. it's so he's so real in the moment. He's it's I've never been around anybody like him. He has um, it's it's why he's the Dalai Lama. Um, it's a different kind of wisdom. Hmm. Um, it's almost like it was a movie that Dudley Moore did. I think it was Dudley Moore, Chauncey the Gardener, where he was this very simple gardener who everybody started thinking was a guru because he would say stuff. He'd look at the grass and he'd go, green. And they'd go, oh, my God, green. Do you know green? Green is the color also of the – and they, you know, and so there's a lot of that around him and he feels yes. it, you know. So he tries really hard to just be a person, mm-hmm. um, so that and, yeah, to yeah. break the wall down with the other people. Yes. So he, so he says things that are so real. Um, two little incidents were: uh, we went to Trinidad 
we walked in a room and Trinidad is very unique because um, the cultures all get together, but they've never assimilated. Mm. So the Africans wear African traditional garb. South Americans are from Chile. You wear, you know, dressing up your Chilean. There's no, uh, there's no wardrobe of Trinidad. It's your local places. So we got to the airport and there was an, a, a speaking hall at the airport. And, um, it was beautiful. It was all these different beautiful costumes. And His Holiness had his orange robes out and he goes out and you could see everybody's in that moment of, oh my God, God's just walked in the room. You know, because that's the way it always is when he walks in. It's a silence and people are like, like oh, bowing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he walked in the room. He goes, <laughs> oh, so sorry. Must be wrong room. Costume party here? <laughs> and nobody knew what to say. They like, And then he looked down at himself and he had the orange robe. Oh, good. I have my costume. <laughs> well, Close the ice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Honolulu. That's so funny. He was th- doing a speech in Honolulu and you could tell the room got really... What would you use? You know, sort of like uh, so overwhelmed to be in his presence that it almost was like weird. It was like, you know, and Mrs. O- uh, President Obama's sister was in the audience and she asked the question, she said to him, uh, you were always happy. And he's got 18,000 people. You can hear a pin drop and he's sitting on a thing and he goes, mm, no, no, not always happy. Sometimes sit on toilet. Mm. Mm. <laughs> nothing come out not happy then mm. come out oh so happy, happy. <laughs> and the place just that's leveled off so funny he's another human yeah now let's move on that's so funny yeah, yeah. and that's it's so and nobody else could ever say that and, no. and have it be taken in the way it, you know sure. how beautiful it is to be able to say that sure you know and be so honest right you know just so honest about it that um, anyway, so I'm very lucky to have been in his presence. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, I had a chance to hear him speak once and got pretty close. And it was just cool to be around and interact yeah. with him. Yeah, you just feel like you had a great shower or something. Yeah. It's just so yeah, that's cool. So great. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. There's so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. In person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've learned the hard way that constantly holding on to your emotions and repeatedly choosing to not talk about your feelings will only make you feel worse and worse. And up until about 10 or 11 years ago, I was afraid to talk about my trauma that I experienced. And I know we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. But therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lewis today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-E-W-I-S. What do you think you were 
you were born to do? What do you think you were put here for? No idea. I have no idea. I don't even, I, I don't, I mean, I don't, I know, I, my sense, although I, I don't know anything of my senses, I'll never find out. Hmm. Um, and when I say I, I mean I, plural. Because um, I singular, I don't think has any, you know, you do what you do and you do the best you can do. And, right. Um, but is there a higher purpose to it all? I have no idea. It's just hard for me to, although as I get older and I've had a couple of brushes with death, it's really hard for me to listen to my own words. <laughs> um, really hard. But I've always said in trying to comfort people, because um, sadly I've had a lot of death, I think we all do as we get older in our circles. And I've always tried to comfort people by saying, um, somebody had to create this thing. It's crazy, right? Somebody, somebody had to, somehow, somewhere, somebody, somehow. There's too many pieces that fit together mm. for it to be random. Um, just in our own bodies, how many hundreds of things have to work perfectly in each. So it's just, so somebody somewhere. So that, that thing, person, entity, what energy, whatever that thing is that thought of all this stuff, yes. the only thing he gave us all was birth and death. In between, there's people with one leg, people with two legs, people who can talk, people who are white, people black, people yellow, people live for three hours, people live for a hundred years. Some, you know, can, there's every possibility in the world. No two people are exactly alike, even twins. But the one thing, the one gift, either if so, so then it gets back to, do you think the guy that created this is the biggest scumbag in the world? <laughs> in which case, death is the worst thing that could happen because that's the only thing he gave us. And how can you think that? So you have to think that since it's the only two things he gave us, and this journey is pretty hard, yeah. maybe that's our payoff. Which is a easy was a night. It was a great way for me to try and rationalize it for people <laughs> right. until I almost died. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what did you almost die? I almost died. I had a stomach thing that oh, I had a surgery that uh, I, I I flatlined twice on it. I didn't wow. know about it. I mean, it was all fine. But when right. I woke up, I had that moment of like, wow, and and uh, holy shit! I don't know if I really meant what I said. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty wow. scary. <laughs> wow. Did your perspective on life change after that moment or experience? Um, it did for a couple, for a couple of days. I felt really sorry for myself. Mm. Um, that's why I said yes to the movie. Mike had been trying to make the movie for about 10 years huh. and he called me in the hospital and he said, okay, now the time yeah. <laughs> before it's too late. And I was so drugged up and real, and really feeling sorry for myself. I don't usually. I mean, I have moments where I feel sorry. I think we all have moments where we question ourselves. We feel mm -hmm. sorry. What's it all about? What am I really doing? Is this, is this what I was put here for? Is this, you know? But for me, they last seconds. But this was like a day or two <laughs> in a hospital room of like, you know, realizing, wow, I'm dug in this hole pretty deep. I got to get out of this thing. Sure. This is like, <laughs> 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 but it is weird when you, you know, when um, when you face mm. mortality that close and um although we're all alone anyway i was particularly alone yeah um and uh so it really started to get me to feel you know really sorry for myself like what have you done with your life mm. you, know, you had so many opportunities to do better stuff why did you make the choices you made and you just go through all i think every human goes through those yeah. things yeah 
Who do you feel shaped your mindset the most growing up? Uh, growing up, I wouldn't say anyone. I, I, I was very unconscious, I would say, until um, I got to college. When I got to college, I'd say the first real strong influence on my life with two. One was Kennedy. Mm. More in his death than in his in his career was a, a real changing moment for me. Um, and um, Marshall McLuhan up in Toronto, who was a lecturer, who talked about the medium as the message and really gave me my first inkling of, you know, it's really about the message is getting it done. <laughs> and um, then as as I got older, um, Joseph Campbell mm-hmm. became a real influence. Um, and then I got very lucky and met a chef by the name of Roger Berger. And that was really my first... Um, I felt like I was his grasshopper from Kung Fu. <laughs> that was the first time that I I had a real desire to explore someone else's life to see what I could find that could make mine happier and better. I was I was starting to feel at risk. I was um living in LA. I was very, very successful. Lots of jewelry, mm-hmm. a lot of coke going up my nose, mm-hmm. revolving door of women. Um, had a hot nightclub here, hmm. just with, it was, you know, white rolls rose I was driving, all of which is good stuff, but I was doing it as badges rather than as real desire. Hmm. So I, and there was a part of me hating myself for doing it, but really doing it and chasing it. Hmm. And, um, I got the con, won the con film festival. I had all those medals. Yeah. Achievements. You'd cross yeah. everything all those, Yeah, all those kind of things. And and this guy walked in the room and um sort of like the Dalai Lama, just this white pool of beautiful energy, smiling. Hmm. Um obviously the power person in the room, James Coburn jumped up and hugged him and Anthony Quinn went over to him and um Pavarotti. So obviously and I've always been attracted to power and as I said, I'm a little bit of a groupie. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting to me that here is this white knight um, in the midst of all these people smoking cigarettes and their knees jumping up and down and looking at other tables, which is exactly what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he was focused on his moment and happy and a power figure. I said, said "Woo, how'd this guy get there? And I stayed when the restaurant closed and he was very gracious and allowed me into his life, which I was in. Actually, I'm on my way to New York to do a uh, a beautiful dinner. Uh, he, he passed away a few years ago, and we're establishing a Roger Verge scholarship at the Culinary Institute Sure. on Monday night with um, 12 of his uh, sous chefs, Daniel, Daniel Ballou, and a lot of great chefs. Wow. Um, so I'm really happy about it. Anyway, what did he teach you, or what did you learn about him? Um, I, I I can't. They, it wasn't like one, two, three, four, five. Right. Um, but being around him, I saw that what seemed to bring him the biggest joy of all was service. Um, in all forms, um, his manifested in in that night at the dining room table. But I saw the way he dealt with the farmers, and the way he dealt with the staff, and the way he dealt with my friends, and the way he dealt with his just he had, he put everything before him, but not in a condescending way, not in a in the most high spirited, conscious way I had ever seen. And um, I, I remember saying to him, one of our first meals, 
We had eaten maybe in four or five restaurants at this point, and um, the meal wasn't very good. And I ate half of my plate, and he finished the plate. I said to myself, I said, that's really interesting. I wonder, is my taste that far off? (laughs) Right, right. And when we left, I said to him, Mr. Verger, um, did you think that was really good? And he said, oh, Shep, it was terrible. (laughs) And I said, well, why did you finish my plate? And he said, no, Shep, the chef will be waiting at the door to watch the plates from our table coming back. I'm Roger Verger. He's wanted me in his restaurant for years. He will be standing there. I cannot send back anything on the plate and ruin his night. Oh, my gosh. And he finished your plate. And for the rest of my time with him did that. I remember I got served at Lyon. <laughs> after that, I, I ate every meal till we got to Lyon, which was about two and a half years later. And we went to a restaurant called Lyon de Lyon. <laughs> and they served me a pig's face. <laughs> the ears, the nose, the lips. No. And I looked at him and I said, I, 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 I can't even stay at the table. <laughs> I, oh. left, I don't know if he finished it or not. Was oh, my other. gosh. <laughs> but I love that thought. It was such a beautiful mm. such a beautiful thought, such a beautiful way to go through life, um, to really think about, you know, not not you in this moment, but how is you in this moment affecting the circle of life around you and how easy it is for him to finish that plate and make the guy happy was nothing right you know one extra burp right, right. exactly um but that's powerful and that's what made him happy mm-hmm. um so that just you know um i was lucky enough to be around him and experience it and, and slowly um sort of like osmosis it, it it moved into my way of life you know and i found myself expressing my my passion for life through my dinner parties which is what he did Giving. Except he did it in a restaurant, a, a really direct way of service and of really feeling good about yourself. You know, I love when someone tells me what they like and what they don't like. That's what Mr. Verger used to always say to me, yeah. you know, oh, chef, I am so happy when a guest tells me what they like because then I know how to make them happy. Right. Um, that's what he's there for. Sure. You know, so. Um, and so you started doing dinner parties after that? Or yeah. I think after they, be, when I met him, I was a macaroni and ketchup kind of guy Sara Lee frozen cheesecake sure um, I, I couldn't care less about food Nathan hot yeah. dogs which I still love <laughs> I couldn't care less at all about food and through my my um, respect and, and love of him came to really appreciate the culinary artists and uh, so much like a show you know they um, they have to give you their hits like if you go to Spago and they don't have a pizza you get really mad if you go to an Alice Cooper concert and he doesn't do schools out, you get really mad. So as an artist, you are so bored. How many times Alice has played schools out? Thousands. How many times Wolfgang's made a pizza? Oh, my God. But It's not fun for him or creative, but right. it makes everyone happy. It makes people happy. But at the same time, whether you have a restaurant or a show, you have to put new stuff in. Yeah. You have to. You have to create new things. They have to create a new recipe. You have to create a new song. Every couple of years, you have to renovate the look of what your show is. Every couple of years, you got to renovate the look of what your dining space is. You wear your dungarees, you go to the market. Alice wears his dungarees, he goes shopping. You walk into the hall. Alice puts on his costume. The chef puts on his whites. Um, he's backstage. Alice saying, no, you got to do, don't forget, hits the stage. Right. The chef is back there going, get the ham. You 
walks through the door to say hello to someone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is. Same thing, pretty much. You know, when you go through the rhythm huh. of it, yeah. you get far enough away to look at it. Yeah. Um, and in the food world, you get the opportunity to one-on-one really service people, mm-hmm. which you never get in the entertainment world. Um, you have, you can't customize your show. Yeah. So as an artist, if you, if someone tells you what they like and you can customize their experience that evening and make them happier, you know, if you like asking everybody in the audience, give me a list of the songs you want to hear <laughs> and doing 20,000 different set lists. Yeah. Um, so, wow. Anyway, I got lucky to get included in that. That's cool. And what about your parents? Who was more influential? My dad. Yeah. I always thought my mom. It was, I think that's the book probably taught me as on a personal level. That was my biggest takeaway and, and my greatest um, joy in doing the book was I always thought that it, my mother was a very difficult lady. And I always thought I sort of lived under her cloud. And a lot of the stuff I did in my life was guided by that proving to her that I was good and, you know, doing all that stuff. And when I, I read Norman Lear's book, which I highly recommend to anybody out here, anything they can ever do that has Norman Lear's name on it, go for it. Which book is this? He did about autobiography. Okay. And he talked about his relationship with his father. And that got me to start thinking about my father, who I never, mm. all I ever would think about was I loved him, really kind. But I always thought of my mother as, you know, when I try and think of like, okay, how come I'm 60 and not married? Well, because I didn't like my mother. Mm. Um, you know, sir, I, I'd go to all, when you're looking for answers for the big stuff in your life, um, <laughs> I would go there. Sure. And what I realized by writing the book was that I'm actually living out my father's life exactly. Because he was a man of complete service. He had nothing else in it. He went to work and he took care of his family. And he gave up everything else in his life. Um, we'd go play golf once a month. That's about the only joy he had. Really? Yeah. Um, but of service to us. Yeah. It was a, a life of complete 100% service. Did that make him happy? Made him really happy. Yeah. Made him uh, ha- on a level, you know, and a happy he could enjoy. But I never, I never knew till. Um, he sort of passed away and I went through his stuff. The life he had before I knew him, he had a, I knew him only as a guy who left for work early in the morning, came home late at night, sat in front of the TV, hugged me. We laughed a little bit, went to sleep, worked seven days a week. Um, I, and I never saw friends. I never, so I never, and then I found all this stuff that he, he, um, he had these great business cards made up of four guys who he was a handball champion, which I never knew. Really? Um, he was a golf pro, which I never knew. He worked at a brewery. He had a house on Staten Island where there was always kegs of beer open. And these four guys gave out business cards that said, uh, Ben, Stan, but I forgot the other guy's name, available for parties for single girls. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Which is really funny. I have it hanging up in my house. <laughs> so I, I never really, re- and I never put all the pieces together. And when I wrote, started to write the book and started to think about the moments with them and the choices, he made, oh my God, he gave up everything that was dear to him in his life to provide for me mm. in this, never saying it to me. Never ever once said to me what I gave up. Never ever once said to me, I'd like, you know, I'd love to go out with the guys and have a beer. Um, never once laid it on me ever to, to such an extent that I didn't even know it existed. Um, wow. you know, pretty wild. What was the big lesson you learned from him then? Um, lesson was, um, service makes you happy. He was a pretty happy guy. Mm. Um, in a world where he had nothing, 
sure. except service. Yeah. That was all, that's really all he had. He had 20 heart attacks. It was at a time when they didn't do bypasses and stuff. You'd put under your lip a little nitro capsule. So he had, you know, he just, um, but he was, uh, I'm very lucky to have had him as a dad. Mm-hmm. Really. I wish I had appreciated him as much when he was living. Isn't that funny with us? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like most people don't yeah. appreciate our parents, right? Yeah. I did. Though. I would say by the, the last few years of his life, I started to, to really uh, yeah. try and find Brad Raquel Welsh to his retirement home, which made nice. him king of the pool hall. <laughs> <laughs> he said he never had to wait for pool ever again. That's hilarious. After that day, because <laughs> he used to wait online. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> I gave him a Hawaii tropic hat. He was very. That's funny. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Shep, what would you say is missing in your life right now? Um, I mean, you've had so many great adventures. You have so many great relationships. Yeah, I would say probably. I I, I don't feel a huge need of. I, I would love to be in a relationship. I I've I've been seeing somebody in New York who I really like, but it's difficult and it's a long way away, mm-hmm. and there's complications. But she's great. Yeah. And um, I I would you know I'm, I'm very lucky that three of the kids that I raised have come back to Maui. So in the last year or so, I've started to get a sense of family back there again. You adopted, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I never, I never actually adopted because it happened during the Clinton era, and the, and, I, and I, I was never a person who um, collected a lot of resources. I wasn't an accumulator. Yeah. Um, and uh, they were very young. The baby was a couple of months old, and in those days, the Clinton, the government provided this amazing safety net. They were Afro-American kids. Unknown fathers, mother dead, and the government provided an amazing safety net of education, of health benefits, mm. of um, rent payments. We, we, did, we didn't use it. Um, I supported them and we never took advantage of it. But I always felt that if, once I adopted them, if I ran out of money, they couldn't go back to that safety net. Right. And the only difference between adoption and not adoption was I couldn't take off my taxes, the money that I used to support them. Mm. And I felt I could get through that because I would spend my money anyway, but go yeah. up my nose or go to them would be <laughs> right, much right. better. Um, <laughs> but that was 25 years ago. So it's been pretty wild. Now there's another generation. We were just all in Hawaii. It was beautiful. Wow, Nine amazing. of us. Yeah, it was really great. That's cool. Yeah. And I hear you're also terrified of public speaking. Is that true? Yeah, I don't like public speaking at all. Uh, I, I really enjoy stuff like this. Yeah. And I enjoy public interviewing mm-hmm. i found that i really Someone's interviewing on stage yeah i love that yeah. I, I thought i i would hate it and i just love it um because i i listen to myself the same time i'm saying it right so i'm i i you know i'll, I'll laugh at my own jokes or, <laughs> um, i don't prepare anything yeah and i really it's been really enjoyable for me but when i'm public speaking every self-worth issue i have comes to the forefront wow yeah um, i think yeah. that's for him. 99% of yeah. people. And I just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. I don't see the advantage to dealing with it if it, it's stressful. It's stressful. <laughs> it can't yeah. be stressful. So I have, there's no, it's not as if I have to do it to earn my living. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel that I, my, I feel my speech is a much more entertainment than something, uh, than like surgery, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which you need. Sure. Um, so if it freaks me out, why deal with it? It's like, yeah. and I enjoy the other so much. Yeah. Um, really look forward to it. That's so. cool. Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this. 
assertive on-road performance meets commanding all-terrain capability. That's the third-generation Range Rover Sport, which is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet. This vehicle redefines sporting luxury, offering an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Now available in sleek, new stealth pack, Carpathian gray exterior wrapped in satin protective film with black accents and black brake calipers. Inside the Range Rover Sport, advanced cabin technologies like active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. And let's not forget about the award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment system. Enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Wow, that's like a spa day while on the go. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland and discover a place that just feels lighter. Where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group. Where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season. Where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door. Where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. What is uh, one thing that you're really proud of that maybe a lot of people don't know about you? Something you've done or? I would say the, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really blessed in that I try and live my life from when I wake up in the morning to when I go to sleep at night doing stuff I can be proud of. Um, it's an important part of my equation. It's a filter I try and put everything through. Um, but I, I think, you know, living on Maui, which I love. Maui is, yeah, it's, beautiful. It, it's just given me so much. I can never repay Maui ever for um, the blessings it's given me and for keep, you know, for embracing me the way it does. Um, and um, a few years ago, I tripped over the, f how many people can't afford to eat. Um, the food bank feeds 10,000 people a week. In Maui? In Maui, which has a population of 100,000. <laughs> 7,000 of whom work Huh. 3,000 work two jobs. Um, you just, it's expensive. It's expensive in Maui. It's, it's really all expensive. All Hawaii, yeah. it's expensive, yeah. So I went around to a bunch of my friends, um, Alice Cooper, who comes every year for Christmas, and Steve Tyler, who has a house there. Mick Fleetwood, who has a house there. Sammy Hagar has a house there. Mike McDonald has a house there. Patch Simmons has a house there. We have a lot of entertainment people. Willie Nelson. Um all uh, near you or kind yeah, of the we're same? Yeah, it's a small island, so yeah, everybody yeah. sort of knows each other. It's a very embracing yeah. island. You know, you still don't lock your doors in Maui. It's mm -hmm. really special. <clears throat> and I said, you know, I explained the problem, and I said, I think we're all so blessed. I used to do a New Year's party where everybody came for free for years, you know, two, mm -hmm. three hundred people. And I said, why don't we start doing charging people, and let's all play, and let's and last year we provided three hundred and five thousand meals wow. for the food bank. That is cool. Uh, people like Sarah McLaughlin heard about it and came and played. Amazing! Everybody on one little stage. There's no lights. There's no nothing. They play with each other. Um, we've had everybody come and do it. Um, people, Dave, just... Dave Mason called me this morning. You doing that thing New Year's? I said, Yeah. Can I play? Wow! Uh, but they all love Maui, and they realize, you know, that's a lot of 
people starving. Wow. So people just come in and pay to get in? Or yeah, it's, a, it's $600. Wow. Uh, we have very limited guest list, 200. Cool. I think it's 300 people. Some people make big donations. Sure. Most of the artists buy their own tickets. They buy a ticket and play. That's cool. Um, yeah. And then everybody plays with everybody else. We do about a two-hour show. Wow. This is Christmas Day or what is this? It's New Year's night. New Year's night. Yeah, wow. we all spend New Year's together. Wow. Um, we bring wow. a lot of the homeless in. I'll have to buy a ticket someday. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> it's really, really cool. That's cool. Um, we've, we've had so many acts, Michael Bolton, I mean, every, John Mayles, and everybody comes and shows up. It's been fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. Um, Weird Al Yankovic every year. Oh, that's cool. He's a fantastic entertainer. I'm sure he yeah. is. Yeah. I'm sure he is. Wow. Um, final few questions for you. What's something you're most grateful for in your life recently? I would say two grandchildren are just amazing to be able to spend some time with mm. and be around and, yeah. You know, see um, sort of the fruits of my labor of trying to help out this family. Yeah. Um, move on to a new generation. Really, really excited to see where those kids go to. You know, this generation was the first of their family to go to college. Mm. Um, and I'm really excited to see where the next generation goes. That's cool. Um, so that's really exciting to me. That's fun. When I, when I hear a little one go, Papa, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> um. This is called the three truths question. Mm -hmm. I feel like you've had a wealth of uh, information you've shared, but your life is, you know, some people call you the most interesting man in the world. Uh, you've got a lot of experience, a lot of failures, a lot of successes. If it's the end of the day for you many, many years from now, mm -hmm. and the book is gone, anything, the documentary is gone for whatever reason, it's erased from time right. and everyone's there. You got a piece of paper and a pen and they ask you to write down your three truths the three things you know to be true about everything you've learned in life that you would pass on to them as, you know, kind of your principles, your philosophies for how to live a great life. What would you say are your three truths? I'd probably start it by saying the only thing I'm sure of is I know nothing. Um, but realizing that I know nothing, my particular path, and maybe I fooled myself through it, was um, focusing on service, I think is... Um, for me has been really important because it gives me a focus to how to, how to, to deal with life's journey. So I would say service is one compassion is to, uh, it's so easy to fault other people or to get angry at other people, or especially in the times we live in today. Um, that I think being compassionate and understanding that yours isn't the only journey, um, is really important. And the third one is to try and, in interactions, try and create win-win situations. You know, we're in the same species, and we've we've so many people have moved to win and lose. Mm -hmm. And um, I think working a little bit harder to try and win and win, make your neighbor happier, and and you'll be happy. Um, so I would say those are my three. Those but but I focus it all by saying I know absolutely nothing. And the older I get, the more sure I am that I know nothing. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I hear you. That's why I'm still that here. Doesn't, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be well-intentioned. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to know stuff to be well-intentioned. Right. Those are great truths. Thanks mm -hmm. for sharing those. <laughs> Before I ask the final question, I want to make sure we mention again, make sure you guys go pick up the book. They call me Super Mensch, a backstage pass to the amazing worlds of film, food, and rock and roll. Make sure to grab this ASAP. It's out right <laughs> now. An Anthony Bourdain book, which is really cool. 
Where can we connect with you online? Are you on social media at all? Yeah. Anywhere, Twitter, think, Instagram? I think I am. I think it's supermensch.com. Okay, cool. Okay. Or supermensch something. But you don't use social media personally yourself. You're no. not tweeting. I, you know, I recently my granddaughter's gotten me into it, and Jason has yes. sort of gotten me into it. So, I, And it's really interesting. It's um, I, it's um, I think I probably will become more of one. Okay, cool. Um, especially if, as this the book tour right. winds down and I have more time. Um, it's been what what I have found really interesting is following the rhythm of the messages. When I first started, which was maybe five or six or seven weeks ago, um, almost everything was political. Mm. Um, almost every Facebook post was someone for Trump or against, and there'd be a personal something once in a while. Yeah. Now, in the last week or 10 days, when I look, it's a lot more personal stuff. Pictures of the cat, <laughs> or, you know, something important to someone. <laughs> right. Um, right. And uh, so it, it's interesting. And I've been reading some of the Twitter things. I went and um, I never answered any of my friend requests. Mm-hmm. So I've answered probably a thousand of those. Wow. And it, a lot of them are old friends, which was really nice to reconnect to. So that's, that's, cool. that's a nice part of it. But it's been interesting. It's a whole new world. And as, as I said to you when we started, I don't want to blow your horn or anything, but living in Maui as a 70-year-old guy, I was starting to get really jaded as to the next generation coming up. And through this experience, I've met a lot of people like you who do what you do, who search for knowledge and, yeah. and truth. And it's so refreshing to see this generation of people. And I hope you all continue doing what you're doing. And I think it can only lead to someplace better, you know. Yeah, um, it's really, I appreciate really important it. work, really important work. And, and a, it's like an oasis in the middle of the jungle. <laughs> you know? So I'm enjoying doing all these shows because all you guys actually care about making the planet a little yeah. better. We're trying to make an impact. Yeah, no, it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. It's really fantastic. So that's what's going to get me more curious about social media. Yeah. Because my vision of it was always uses uses for negative rather than yeah. positive. There's a lot of that. Yeah. There's a lot of that. But I just try to follow people that are inspiring and hopefully yeah, that, no, it's you great. Know, I only it's see really the great. good stuff. Yeah. Well, before I ask the final question, I want to acknowledge you for a moment, Shep, for your incredible creativity, your incredible creativity and your love for humans. The the journey you've had over the years is such a, a great example of how to be uh, a better human being and how we can overcome a lot of adversity from not knowing to you finally seeking answers and truth yourself to connecting with some inspiring people that you said, okay, it's of service. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the final chapter in my book is about living a life of service. Oh, really? It's the common thread yeah. from all the great individuals I've interviewed is that they want to live a life of service. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate your example and I acknowledge you for the incredible human that you are. Thank you. Yeah. And my final question is what's your definition of greatness? Um, greatness is happiness. If you can find how to be happy. Um, without hurting other people, and everybody has a different path to it. But I think, um, I think if you're happy, you can only do good stuff. You know, and it starts somewhere in you. So the greatness is a tiny little thing that leads to bigger stuff. Mm. Hello, Jeff. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate it. My pleasure. There you have it. Thank you so so much for spending your moments with me today. I feel so grateful and so blessed that you decided to show up. And if you enjoyed this interview, make sure to share it out with your friends at Lewis Howes everywhere. Let me know what you think of this. Tweet me, tag me on Instagram, post me on Facebook. Let me know what you think. Share with me your thoughts. Did you enjoy this one? Did you think it was crazy? Did you, what's the biggest thing you got out of it? Let me know and send the link to your friends, lewishowes.com slash 
three, eight, two. Also, watch the full video interview over on YouTube.com slash Lewis Howes. We've got all these interviews on video. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and everywhere else on social media. I love you guys. Thank you for being here, and you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Ask Sherwin-Williams and get 30% off Duration and Superdeck products May 17th through the 20th. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 30% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.